Today's going to look a little bit different here in just a moment. We can't wait for you to be a part of, of uh, what's happening today. But in Judges chapter 2, you don't have to go there, but uh, just take my word for it. Okay, <laughs> Moses has already passed away as he led the children through 40 years uh, out of Egypt and through the, uh, the wilderness. Joshua, who brought them over into the promised land, Joshua is now deceased as well. And following the generations, they've kind of begun to uh, uh, forget. They did not know about what God did through Moses and uh, Joshua. This is what it says in Judges 2.10. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. How tragic. That the generations following Moses and Joshua that saw miracle after miracle did not know of this saving, redeeming, all-powerful God. You know, David wrote a few centuries later, David wrote in Psalm 145 for, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And so that's our prayer is that this generation would tell the next generation who would tell the next generation. And so I want you to know, if you're new to Calvary, we say welcome, but we are not just a church that has young people. We are a church that invests in young people and gives leadership back into the young people. So uh, yeah, you can give God praise for that. So why don't you tell them uh, what what today's going to look like? Yeah, that's right. So right now... um we are getting ready to welcome Pastor Will and Pastor Jay. Would you go ahead and come up? And uh, next service in our 11 o'clock service, we have Calvary Kids for birth all the way through fifth grade. And we want you to know, uh, I can't wait for, for us to start sharing some testimonies of what God's doing in these kids' lives because every Sunday we're hearing amazing things happen. You know, we want you to know that we're not about child care for your kids. We're about pointing them to Jesus. And the stories that Pastor Milton and the team are sharing with us about kids who are coming forward and who are uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit and who are coming forward, believing God for impossible things in their families and in their lives. God is moving in our kids' ministry. It's incredible. And on Thursday nights in our youth and on Tuesdays with our young adults, God's doing amazing things. And, you know, we really have felt an urgency in this last year that there's a generation of people being raised up who are going to go forth in ministry, full-time ministry, ministering in churches, being missionaries, but also being ministers out in the marketplace. And so we're seeing God raise up some incredible young people, and today you get to hear from them. And so uh, these, these students you're going to hear from, there's going to be five this service and five next service. They've prepared a word that God has spoken to their hearts, and they're ready. They've prayed for you all week. They're ready to minister this to you. So we ask that you would lean in, that you would support them, that you would give an amen, a hallelujah, that you would get vocal and, and really support these students as they share the word of God today. All right? Amen. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> How are we doing today? Yes! It's just like a youth service. I love it. I love it. Well, my name is Pastor Will. It is my privilege uh, to be the youth pastor here at Calvary. I am Pastor Jay, and I also have the privilege, not youth, but young adults ministry Definitely here good. at Calvary. And uh, yeah. we are so thankful. First off, when we get the... Um, the privilege to be up here. Can we just honor Pastor Benny and Kelly one more time yes. for their vision Woo! for the young adults and the next generation? We are so happy and we are privileged and honored to be able to come 
alongside them to be able to do this today. And so we are grateful, we are thankful uh, to just be witnessing all the growth and intentionality in these ministries. And so we are just excited to celebrate that today. Yeah, yeah, we're very thankful for Pastor Benny and Kelly. They're head pastors that, that care about each age group. Absolutely. Right, They don't just care about the, the teaching on Sundays. They invest in every age group. So Absolutely. we're very thankful for pastors that support our ministries like that. Yeah. Um, but like Pastor Benny and Kelly said, we have a really packed day for you guys. We yes. have five different youth students and young adults who are going to be speaking to you guys in little mini sermons today, um, each service. And so you guys are in for today. You have a stacked lineup. Before we go over the lineup, though, I just want, I know this is a Sunday morning, but I feel like since it's kind of youth, young adult, take over a little bit. Uh -oh. I want, <laughs> this wasn't planned. I want you guys to practice your energy Come on. and to practice your cheer. So I'm going to say something. That. I agree I, with that. I'm going to say something and you guys have to give as much as you got Please. so that we can do that for every person. Okay. Yeah. You ready? What's up everybody? How we doing? <laughs> Woo! That was good. good I heard some adults the loudest. That's pretty that good. 915. Cool. 11 yeah. better bring True. it. Come on. True. Yeah. It's still early. Anyway, so we have a really cool lineup for you guys today. We actually have three young adult men who will be speaking to you, to you guys today. We have Jeff Fleming, we have Solomon Weisgerber, and we have Simeon Nelson. Come on. Give it up. And we also have two high school ladies Come speaking on. to you guys today. We're so excited. We have Miss Olivia Solomon and Valerie Boards. That was in no specific order. Yeah, give it up. Come on. All right, you guys are clapping a lot already. We're going to help you do it one more time every time someone comes up. So can we welcome to the stage our first speaker today, Mr. Simeon Nelson. Give it up. Good morning, good morning, good morning. I wanted to say that every time I get the mic. The, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? All right, that's about half the church. How are you guys doing this morning? <laughs> There you go. Well, as they said, my name is Simeon Nelson. I'm part of the Young Adults Ministry here at Calvary. I serve on the worship teams and dream teams in different capacities. And I'm just so, so, so excited to be in front of you and share the message that God has put on my heart this morning. Um, just as an additional thank you again to Pastor Benny and Pastor Kelly um, and also Pastor Jay and Pastor Will um, just for continuously investing in the lives of young adults and youth in our church. It's really, really, really important. Um, just quickly before I just get into it too, when I was in college, like I really re was wanting just a really strong student ministry and coming back because of COVID, I was kind of bummed because I couldn't be there at school anymore, but I got this church family right behind me and I was just so, so blessed. So thank you guys for all that you do. Um, yeah, so as I said, I'm a student and I have a lot of responsibilities. I have a whole lot that I do. And primarily, a lot of the time that I spend in a day is just studying. I know, it's just a very fun time. And you know, I just looking through my textbooks. But I always just think to myself, I hope I pass my test. I hope that all the studying that I do pays off, right? I hope that when I go to the gym, I don't uh, get too big. <laughs> And then I also hope that I actually wake up to go to the gym because, nice, <laughs> I'm lazy and I do not wake up to alarms as you can ask my sister. Um, 
but yeah, I, I just have this hope, and I also hope that I don't bore you to death with my sermon. Hope, 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 hope. There's so many things that we put our hope in every day. I personally, for a long time, put my hope in my education, my friends, my family, and all these other things, my giftings, but it became a problem when I wasn't putting my hope in God. Like, it always just baffled my mind, what is hope? Like, I can trust God. I trusted God my whole life. I always went to church. I was always told, you can trust God. You can put your hope in him. But it was always just baffling me because, yeah, I trusted him, but how do I put my hope in God? See, we hope for the things to come. We hope of how God is going to move in our lives, how he's going to change us, how he's going to mend our paths into something different. We also hope that we see Jesus again because he's coming soon, amen? See, the Greek word that is used for hope is alpis. This means expectation, trust, and confidence. An expectation of what is a guarantee. I'm going to say that again. An expectation of what is a guarantee. This comes from the root word elpo, which means to anticipate with pleasure. We don't use that word a lot, anticipation, right? I mean, sure, we can expect things. We expect things from our friends and family. But anticipating, that heavy, heavy anticipation, it's just... It's just something else, a joyful anticipation that in our waiting for what God has to do, that he's still going to be working, that we're so, so excited for what he's going to do through our lives. You see, we don't hope for things that we already have. In Romans 8.24, it says, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? This is why we expect for things to happen. See, we can trust God, Right? We can trust God because we know the miracles that he's done in the past. We have a whole book of stories and how he's worked through generations. We can trust God and not only just the things he's done, but who he is. But to put our hope is the future. We can trust God for who he is and what he's done, but we hope for what he's going to do. You see, I was confusing trust with hope. I was confusing putting that trust in front of me than the hope, that waiting, that anticipation with pleasure. So how do we get to this process of hope? It really just baffled me all the time. In Romans 5, 1 to 4, it says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Suffering to perseverance, perseverance to character, character, hope. It's a four-step process. We already have this hope. The thing is, when we're in our sufferings, we don't see it. We don't see the hope that is still there. There's still two more steps in that process to get from suffering to perseverance, perseverance to character, character to hope. See, for me, last year was crazy. Absolutely. Even last year, last two years, I went off to college, and I was just so surrounded by so many things that just kept hitting me one by one. And last year was even more stuff because I had applied to so many different jobs. I had jobs that were secured. I had internships lined up. I had all of my applications in order. I was excited because God was opening so many doors, and I was like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. 
And then come COVID time, everything just shutting down. Like all my internships rejected, 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 rejected. I go to like the stable jobs that I had, even those fell through. Everything that I thought was there was slowly giving way. And there came a time where I was just sad. I just didn't know what to do. But I knew that somehow, some way, that God was going to work in my life. I knew that there was still something in me that God had planted so that I come back to my, my Calvary home, that I could be with my friends and family and my mom and dad and just get through this. I was suffering, but the suffering produced the perseverance to keep going. The suffering produced the perseverance. The perseverance produced the character, not moral character, but character rooted in God. And that's character produced hope. See, we think these, suffer, these times of suffering lead us astray. We, we think that when we're suffering, God is punishing us, but it's really to build our faith, to build this hope, to see what he has for us, to have that expectation. In Hebrews 6, it talks about an anchored hope, that our hope is our anchor. See, we can wander off as much as we want, but our hope is still in front of us. So even in the suffering, all of, all of those different steps, our hope is still there. Our hope is always there. You see, we hear it all the time in Jeremiah 29, 11, right? We see it at college parties, grad parties, different. Um, <laughs> because of the first part of that verse, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. A hope and a future. It's not just a future. It's a hope for a future. You have that expectation that God is still going to move then. He's not done with you just because you got through one suffering. That he still has a hope for you. Come on. (laughs) And you see, when all the plans that we have fall to dust, one thing we can always trust and hope in is God and the plans that he has for us. See, in 1 Peter, it talks about this living hope. A living hope. See, all the hopes that I had were great. They're good. I still have hope for other things. But the thing is, I have a living hope because my, my Lord Jesus went up to that cross, died for my sin, beat hell, death in the grave so that I could live on. See, if Christ didn't resurrect, right, if he didn't come back, our hope would be dead. We don't have hope. But guess what happened? He got up. Romans 5, 5 says, and the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So I encourage you today with all that you have, you may be in the sufferings, you may be in the different Moments of your life, hope, that hope we can wait in joyful anticipation for what is guaranteed. Thank you. Good morning. Happy to be here. All right, my name is Valerie. Today I'm going to be talking about living your life with excellence. I have a rock, oh, just kidding. I have a quote by Robert Townsend, which reads, if you don't do it with excellence, don't do it at all, because if it's not excellent, it won't be profitable or fun. This quote reminds me of the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Scripture says, 
When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. Just as the quote said, Abel was, re was rewarded for his efforts due to its excellence, whereas Cain was not, and he was rejected. He did not give the Lord his best. Sometimes it's easy to fall into the same behavior as Cain when you go about your week. With such busy schedules, you lose track of what truly matters to you, and you give God the leftovers of your time instead of the, your best. I know personally it can be super difficult to give everything my all as I'm going about my week. I begin to become unmotivated or stressed because of school or just life in general. My relationship with the Lord can drift, and then I, things get even more miserable. And then wonder, I wonder why my life seems so difficult, as if I haven't even been spending time with God all week. Maybe you found yourself in a similar scenario. But regardless of your situation, the story of Cain and Abel is a great reminder that we need to do everything in excellence. Which brings me to my first point today. Number one, to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in excellence or your relationship with Christ cannot grow. Picture this, you're growing a plant without water or sunlight or soil. Is it going to grow? Of course not. Plant needs those things to grow. And in the same nature, if you're not putting in the effort to seek the Lord, that relationship can't grow either. A relationship goes both ways. Don't expect God to do all the heavy lifting. You can't have a close relationship with someone you never talk to or hang out with. A relationship is meant to be pursued, but not in any way. It must be pursued with excellence. Put in the effort to seek the Lord. Make time for him. Read your Bible. Pray to him. Journal. Come to church as you have today. There are many ways that you can seek him. So I encourage you to do it, whether you feel like it or not. Which leads me to my second point. Live out loud. Live out loud because you reflect Christ. How do you expect the kingdom of God to grow if people can't even tell Christians apart from the rest of the world? <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 reads, it, And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. We are made in the image of God. Therefore, our actions must reflect him. You may study the Bible, and that's great. But if you're not applying it to your life, then what better are you than everybody else? A common question you can ask yourself as you go about your day. What would Jesus do? Make it a conscious decision to expand his kingdom through performing the best in all that you do. Maybe this looks like doing your chores before you're asked to, or just being a great listener to a friend in need. No matter the task, we should do it well, not for our own benefit, but for God's glory. Show the world the great love and power of Jesus. My final point for today is to remember that life is a gift. Life is a gift. God deserves more than the bare minimum. It's not fair of us to slack off and live however we want if God, as if God hasn't even granted us this life in the first place. The Lord deserves more than the first day of your week. He gave you everything when he sent his sons to die for your sins. It's only right that we use this life to begin to further his will. 
When we finally start to excel in life, God will be able to use you to pour into his kingdom. But we need to be willing to take the initiative and step up. I encourage you this week to step away from the distractions that are hindering your walk with the Lord. Set your focus upon him and live your life with excellence. Thank you. Good morning, church. How you doing? First and foremost, I want to thank Pastor Benny and Pastor Kelly. This is a really cool opportunity. They gave a really great word. Two people behind me already have a really good word, and I'm going to try my best. I'm going to let the Spirit speak through me, but I'm really happy to be part of this church, and thank you for all you guys are doing. You guys encourage me weekly, and I know a lot of the rest of the church feels that way as well. So a little bit about myself. My name is Jeff Fleming. I'm a junior at Hood College. I study special education. Um, I'm a Young Life leader in Frederick County. Um, I'm actually at Linganore High School, so if you're a student at Linganore, you may have seen me around. If you're a parent, you may have seen me around as well. Um, and here at the church, I'm involved with the young adults. I'm a core team member. I'm there every Tuesday. Thank you, Pastor Jay. Um, I'm part of the youth uh, ministry. I'm a middle school life group leader, and I just love serving this church. It's a really great community. So uh, what I'm going to be talking about today, I will be in John 21, which is after the resurrection. So at this point, I'll be talking about Peter. Peter was a disciple his entire life. And before Jesus went to the cross, as many of us know, he denied uh, Jesus three times. And he was told by Jesus he would deny him three times. This is accounted for in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And before like, I would read that, I would just kind of skim over and be like, wow, Jesus knows the future. That's really cool. And keep reading. But I want to pause there for a second, and I want to make sure we put ourselves in Peter's shoes. He denied the Lord three times before he saw him die on the cross. That has to be so hard for him. And Peter was told, you're going to be the rock of my church by Jesus. The foundation of the church would be brought up through him, through the spirit. But he denied him three times. He had to be wrestling with that. I, can't, I, I know when I sin, I beat myself up. <laughs> I could not imagine what Peter was going through. But Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. The tomb was empty. Peter saw it. He saw the Lord also after he resurrected. So he, he saw Jesus, but he was still wrestling with, I denied him three times. Can I be used? It was my sin too big? So that's where we are in John 21. That's, that's setting the stage. So I'm going to skim over a little bit. So after um, Jesus resurrected, Peter was like, I want to go fishing. And if you recall, he was a fisherman before he was a disciple. So I would say he was going back to his old ways. And the other disciples were like, all right, cool, we'll go with you. Because they're all about fellowship, correct? And I think that, that shows a lot about their disciples. But they go fishing, they don't catch anything all night. And that's where we pick up in verse four, if you're in John 21. So early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard his Lord, heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him on the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. 
Let's pause there for a second. That's crazy. So Jesus, after he resurrected, knew that Peter wanted to go fishing. He knew he went out. So he decided to meet him on the shore after a night of catching nothing, and he spoke a word and he caught more fish than he could do on his own, which is great. And then Peter was like, all right, I need to get into the water. (laughs) He decides to wrap his outer garment around and runs into the water after Jesus, fully committed, and he gets fully submerged by the water as well. He goes all in for the Lord. I'm gonna paraphrase the next few verses a little bit. He gets to the shore and Jesus had breakfast waiting for him. Like, come on, (laughs) that's a good move by the Lord. He had breakfast for him and they brought some of the fish, they cooked some of the fish they just caught and they were doing life together like they were before Jesus went to the cross. It felt like a little bit of normalcy and I'm sure that was huge for all the disciples but especially Peter. He needed to be in the presence of the Lord, he got there. And then after they're done eating, Jesus and Peter kind of go off on their own. That's where I'm gonna pick up in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know, and I, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then a third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So if you would recall what I said earlier and what most of us know, Peter denied the Lord three times. And here, Jesus was so intentional that he reinstated him three times. He was so aware of what was going on that he called him back three times. He made him admit, God, I love you. And then Jesus gave him a shepherding um, opportunity to shepherd his church. And that is my first point, that God is personal with us. God knows exactly what you're walking through. He knows the intimate details of your life. He knows your questions yet he will meet you. He will speak to you through his word. He'll speak to you through people of God and he will meet you right where you are. He'll call you back. That is awesome stuff that our our God loves about us. My second point, God wants us to be all in. He doesn't want, he wants us to be half-hearted. He doesn't want us to have one foot in the water, one foot out. If you notice, Peter wrapped his outer garment around and jumped fully into the water. There was zero turning back. I'll share this quick story. I went to Lake Champion with my Young Life group and I fell off of my tube when I was tubing. (laughs) It was a lake and it was 100 yards away. That's a long distance from (laughs) the shore. That's not an easy swim. But Peter knew he wanted to get to the feet of Jesus. So he was able to just throw on his outer garment and jump right in. And that's what God wants for us. He wants to be all in. He doesn't want us to be half-hearted or testing the waters first. No, he wants all of us. That's what he deserves. My third and final point, God never lets go of us. God never lets go of us, even if we go our own way. And that's what we see right here. Jesus knew Peter's heart. And Peter was like, going back to his his old self, he decided to be a fisherman for the day. But God never let go of him. He actually met him on the shore. So I like to think of it like this. Since we are adopted sons and daughters of the blood of Jesus, like God is our heavenly father, we are adopted by him. I like to think of, If you are a parent, I know a lot of parents are in here, 
and you are walking with your child, maybe across the street, maybe through a parking lot, and you're holding their hand, and your child lets go of your hand, would you ever let go of their hand? Absolutely not. <laughs> and that's how it is with our Heavenly Father. He will never let go of us, even if we decide to let go. And that's what he does right here. That's a beautiful picture of what he does. He never let go of Peter. He actually called him further in, although he let go and went astray. So again, I'll wrap up my three points. My first point is that God is personal with us. My second point, that is God wants us to be all in, not half-hearted, but all in. And my third point is God never lets go of us. Calvary, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach. My name is Olivia, um, so today I just want to talk a little bit about the fight we all face against our flesh. As you walk throughout your life, it is really, really easy to fall into sin, it's just how we were made. And when we do sin, there's this battle inside of us that we're all fighting, you know, I don't want to punish myself over and over again, but at the same time, I don't want to completely overlook the fact that I sinned to begin with, and I want to hold myself accountable. So today I'm going to share with you guys three ways to make sure you aren't conquered by your flesh. Um, the first point is look up to biblical examples. Being led by your emotions is really, really easy to do, especially dealing with things like anxiety, depression. It is really easy to just be led by your emotions and let them take control. And um, I've been reading the Psalms as part of my like, daily reading, and I found my favorite verse. Uh, Psalm 33:15. it says, He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. God knows what it's like. Every emotion that you deal with, everything that you're feeling, God knows exactly what it's like. Looking at Jesus' life as an example, he went through loss, he went through disappointment, he went through betrayal. So many things that Jesus went through, we also kind of feel, you know, in our human lives. Um, and we can surrender our emotions to God, knowing that we're not alone in anything that we're facing. One other biblical example I really love, I just recently was reading this um, this scripture. It's, you guys can find the story in Acts chapter 12, verses 11 through 17. I encourage you guys to read the entire story because it's kind of a funny story. But um, <laughs> basically, Peter's been released from prison by an angel. And he's going to his friend's house. He's like, oh my gosh, I finally get to see my friends. And then there's this girl named Rhoda that's staying there. <laughs> and um, Peter's knocking on the door. And he's like, hey, y'all, let me in. I'm here. <laughs> and Rhoda's like, oh my gosh. Peter, you guys, Peter's here. And she gets so excited, she forgets to open the door. <laughs> and in the same way, the more you take in God's word, the more you, the more you like, um, understand the way that God would speak to you. It says, when you read the scripture thoroughly, it says that Rhoda knew that it was Peter at the door because of his voice. And she knew Peter's voice so well because she heard him preach a lot. And when you, once again, when you spend more time with God, you understand how God would try to speak to you. Spending more time with God helps you overcome that sin. Um, which brings me to my next point. Um, spend quality time with God. For your everyday life to prosper, your spiritual life needs to prosper first. Third John chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. When your soul prospers or when you consistently spend time, quality time with God, everything else in your life automatically falls into place. When your time with God starts to lack, that's when everything else starts to kind of like dwindle away. 
When I was younger, uh, I used to be obsessed with these brownies. Y'all know what these are? Cosmic brownies? Y'all ever had these? Yeah. <laughs> when I was younger, I used to be obsessed with this. Um, before I lived where I used to live, I had this like huge field in the back of my house. Me and my friends, we would always have these like picnics all the time, and I would always be the one bringing these brownies all the time. <laughs> these brownies used to be my favorite like all the time. I would eat them every single day. But as I started growing older, I realized that it was a little too sugary for me, and like it's just like something that's too sweet. I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. <laughs> it's it's just too sweet for me. <laughs> And similarly, when you get stronger in your relationship with God, sin starts to become unattractive to you. You don't just stop sinning, but it gets unattractive to you. Your thoughts are fixed on heavenly things, which brings me to my third point. Keep your thoughts in check. Spending more time with God automatically fixes your thoughts on a heavenly outlook or perspective, or in Pastor West's words, through corrective lenses. If you guys were here for that sermon, it's really good. <laughs> Pastor Will shared um, sermons based on Pastor Craig Rochelle's sermon series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And one verse that really stood out to me was Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Uh, I was saying earlier how hard it is to deal with things like anxiety and depression. Your thoughts can be some of the most harmful things in your life. And by asking God to take over your thoughts, you can fill, his, fill your mind with his promises and you can understand, once again, more about the way God would speak to you. Satan likes to yell, but God speaks in a still, small voice. It's the way he came to Elijah. So you can be sure that the voice that's pushing you down in your head is not from God. You can listen to the quiet voice that's continuing to help you get better um, once you go stronger, and it'll keep you on the right track. So as I'm closing up, I'm just going to encourage you guys to look up to godly examples, spend quality time with God, and let God take over your thoughts. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Solomon Weisgerber. I'm a part of the Young Adults Ministry and the prayer team here at Calvary. And I first off just want to say I'm super thankful for all of our pastors giving us this opportunity, letting us young people take the reins. It's pretty awesome, but it's also very humbling at the same time. Um, my message today is titled Stand in the Gap. God is calling me to be an evangelist, and this message is something that God put on my heart over the last two years, whether it's through everything being shut down because of COVID or politicians, celebrities, and organizations all shutting down and caving to the fear of offending others or not being politically correct enough. We live in a world of voices that just want to cancel anything that challenges the norm. And this may seem new, but as King Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. And all throughout history, empires and evil people have tried to strong arm God's people into submitting to idols and submitting to things that go directly against God and his word. And one verse that is a great example of how God feels about this is Ezekiel 2230 where God says, so I sought for a man among them who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. And this verse has always inspired and challenged me because God is always looking for people who will stand in the gap, always, whether it's for your families, for your people, for the lost, for your workplaces or for your church, or even my generation. And he looks for people who will stand in the gap because he has the full intention of standing with people who stand for him. 
And one great example of God's awesome faithfulness with those who stand up for him is in Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 through 20. It's the story of Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 15, Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not worship or serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And spoiler alert, they get thrown into the fire, but they survive. And Jesus Jesus stands with them right there. And I just, I love the aggressive faith that Daniel's friends had. Because not only did they believe that God could save them from the fire, which is pretty awesome in itself, but they, what they believed caused them to stand for what they believed. And they said, even if God does not deliver us, we're still not going to do what you want us to do. And three things that always stood out to me in this passage is that earlier in chapter 2, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a constant posture of kneeling before God in prayer. And because they were always kneeling before God, they could stand before anyone. And because they took that stand for God, God literally came down and stood with them. And although this may seem a lot more epic and monumental than many of the challenges that we face with our faith, make no mistake, we are still faced with a fiery furnace. Some of you have kids who are lost, and God is wanting you to stand in the gap and believe that God can save them. I can tell you that no child is too far gone for the grace of God, and I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for my parents praying and interceding for me all the time. That is a word for somebody. That is a word for somebody. To my generation, I just want to say that our culture is really trying to push us to all think the exact same way about all the same things. And we got to decide, are we going to please the culture or are we going to please God? Scripture is clear that you can't do both. You cannot do both. And I just want to say that God may be challenging you and inspiring you to preach the gospel or to simply just witness to that one friend or pray for that lost loved one in your family. Standing in the gap looks different for all of us, but God wants us to stand nonetheless. He will never leave you high and dry. If he asks you to even stand and preach the gospel, you don't even have to be afraid of being embarrassed because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say in that moment. Amen. Amen. God will always stand with you. You do not have to be afraid. And I want to end with these three questions that only ourselves and God know the answer to. Are we taking a stand for God? Does the world see us and know that we follow Jesus? What does it look like for us to take a stand right now? This may be different for all of us. Lastly, will we stand in the gap? Whether it's just for you and God, for your family, for your church, for your workplace, or even this generation of people we live with today. The times are tough, but our God who stands with us is tougher. He will never leave you or forsake you. Thank you and God bless. What's up, guys? Good morning, everyone. So my name is Alex Bennett. Um, I have the privilege of serving at our in all uh, worship teams, um, young adults ministry, and our youth ministry. Um, 
My message this morning is titled, God is calling you, right? He's calling you, like right now. Pick up your phone. So we're going to talk about how everyone that God created, which is everyone, um, how they have a calling on their life to follow Jesus and to live like him. So let's take a look at this really cool encounter um, with Moses that, ha- that Moses has with God in Exodus chapter 3, uh, if you want to flip there with me. So in this story, sorry, I know I was scrolling. Um, in this story, this is the story of Moses and the burning bush, right? So Moses is tending to his flock, and um, out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord comes down in flames and lands inside this bush, okay? And the, the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And so like anyone probably would, Moses is like, Oh, that's weird. You know, I'm going to go check that out. Now, I'm not, you know, it, it says, it's, the scripture says he kind of like casually walked over there, which is like, I know my reaction, I probably would have freaked out if I saw like an angel come down with like fire, you know, lands inside this bush. That's just crazy. So God sees Moses heading over to this bush and he calls out to him and you know, through the inside of the bush. And he tells Moses that he wants him to go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into freedom. He wants Moses to go to Pharaoh Knock on his door, say, hey, friend, here's a message from God, right? I'm taking my people. We're going to, we're going to the promised land. So um, it's really exciting. So let's read a little bit. Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. This is God speaking to Moses. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this is this will be the sign that is you to you that is I who have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So, real quick, I love how God just straight up tells Moses, He says, He tells him what he wants him to do, right? And then he confirms that this is what is going to happen. You are you're going to go to Pharaoh, you're going to tell him that you're bringing the people out of Egypt, and then when it's done, now you're going to come and worship. So he's confirming this promise, this, this purpose that he has to go, uh, for Moses. Um, he doesn't say if you bring them out, he says when you bring them out. I think that's so powerful. And he's saying the same thing to you and me today. So anyways, God and Moses, they go back and forth a little bit. Moses doesn't think that he's capable Um, He's making excuses for why he can't do it. And God equips him with three signs to show Pharaoh that it's God who sent him. But Moses still doesn't obey God. He's still asking questions and he doesn't want to do it. So if you skip to chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been so eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech. Then the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight and makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. So what's the main takeaway from this story? God called out to Moses. Moses answers. God equipped Moses, and Moses served the Lord's purpose. And by the power and the grace of God, the Israelites were saved from the Egyptians just as God promised. So this brings me to my first point. Pick up the call, right? God's calling you right now. Pick up. You got to pick up the call. Everyone's got to. And that seems so simple, but there's so much to it. How do we pick up the call? You can do this by disciplining yourself, by living a life of prayer and studying God's word. 
There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians that reads, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for us to pray in all things, give thanks in all circumstances, and to live a life full of prayer. It's not just a season. It has to be a lifestyle. And it says right there, this is God's will for us. Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Rebu- yeah, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's it right there. Like, if there was one scripture that you needed, it's right there. That just sums up everything. All, if you want to hear from God, pull out your Bible. His word is right there. You can hear his voice, and you can be in prayer, and you can listen for his voice. But if you want to hear from him right here, right now, pick up your Bible. Start reading. Another way to be disciplined is to walk in spirit. So to walk in spirits means that we yield to the spirit's control. We follow his lead and we allow him to exert his influence on us. We walk in things that are contrary to the flesh. And when you do this, you will see the fruits of the spirit. And Galatians chapter 5 dives really deep into this. And it's, it's really beneficial to, you know, so I encourage you to dig deeper into that. This brings me to point number two, okay? Stay with me here. You can't pick up a call without service. I'll say it again. You cannot pick up a call if you don't have service, right? I'll say it again. You cannot pick up a call without service. Come on. So what does this mean? Obviously, we get it, you know, in the earthly sense, right? You need self-service to pick up your call, right? Your mom's calling you, telling you to pick up milk on the way home, and like, oh no, I'm in a bad zone. I can't, can't pick up the call. So on the night that Jesus was arrested, one of the last things that he did was go around and wash the feet of each disciple. So foot washing, you know, back in these days was so common. You know, people, um, you know, it was really hot. They wore open-toed sandals, and you know, they they're walking around the dirty streets. There's, you know, nasty stuff there. You, you guys know how it is, like my bedroom. Um, However, the washing of the feet was always done by the lowliest servant in the household. So why was this so, you know, monumental? It's because Jesus, this is, sorry, this is probably the most monumental moment in Jesus' ministry because he took himself, Jesus, the Son of God. You know, we worship Jesus, and he made himself into a servant, and he lowered himself, and he served his disciples. He served those around him. It's we're supposed, you know, we think we're supposed to serve Jesus, but it's the other way around. He came down and he served us. He died on the cross for us. Um, So it's, you know, this tells us he did this to leave his disciples with a a statement of servitude, right? He wants, he wanted to leave that statement that this is, you know, no matter how high you are on the totem pole, no matter how high up you think you are, you will never, ever be above the call to serve. That leads to point number three. So I'm, I'm really rolling with this phone analogy. I don't know if you guys like it, but point number three, never hang up the phone. Never hang up the phone, right? Never arrive. Never be comfortable with where you are. Think about it. What if Jesus did this to us? What if he came down, you know, forgave us of our sins? He died for our sins, right? And he comes down, he dies on the cross, and he's just like, all right, you guys can figure the rest out. I did my part, right? How tragic, you know, 
How tragic would that be? But he's still working in our lives 2,000 years later. He is still active and he is still moving and he is still saving. And oh man, don't get me going. So when you decide that you're comfortable, when you hang up on God, when you say, you know, God, I've, I've gone this far, I think I'm pretty comfortable here, you know what you're telling God? You're telling Him that you're good enough and that He doesn't need to work on you anymore. That's what you're saying to God. Not only that, but you're missing out on everything else that God has for you. So we all start here, right, baby Christians? We all start here. We say yes to God a little bit. We get a little bit farther. We say yes to Him again. We get a little bit farther, right? But then you get to this point, you get uncomfortable. God's, you know, he's, he's still with you, but you get a little uncomfortable. You're like, ah, oh God, I don't know. Like, just like Moses, you're like, I don't know if I can do that. So you get to this point, you're like, I'm just going to stay right here. I'm comfortable. But you're missing out on all this. You're missing out on everything else. Everything that's past that point, past your comfort, is full of purpose, fulfillment, and blessing. It's all the way, it's till your last breath. This is what you'll experience. And this is why you cannot hang up on God. You cannot hang up the phone on God because if you do, you are missing out on all of this, everything that he has for you. So don't miss out for what he has for you. He wants to go deeper with you. He wants to go deeper in his relationship with you. He's calling you just like he called out to Moses. So pick up the phone, make sure you have service, and never, ever, ever hang up on God because he's not going to hang up on you. Thank you. Good morning. How are y'all doing today? Good. My name is Rachel Jernigan. Um, I am thankful to be able to serve as a youth leader on the worship team with the young adults. Sometimes I get in kids ministry, but not as often as I would like. Um, I wanted to thank Pastor Benny and Kelly for this opportunity. So thankful for you guys and your leadership and all the pastors for their investment in my life and just always pushing me closer to the Lord. Today I'm going to be talking about trusting the process. I know that God has put visions, dreams, and callings in each and every one of your lives, but can you trust the process that he's going to put you through to walk into that calling? There was someone in the Bible who had to trust the process. You guys can go ahead and open up to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to be right there. In this passage, Saul has just been rejected as king, and there needs to be a new king anointed. So Jesse is bringing his sons one by one, and Samuel is rejecting them over and over again. And that's where we'll pick up in verse 11, which says, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. I think for me, right after I read this, I would think like David would go take up the throne immediately. He'd go, knock on the door, like Saul, that's my throne, get off. <laughs> but that's not what happened. It was actually about 15 years before David took the throne. God knew that David needed to be put through a process before he could hop onto the throne. And just like David, for our calling, we're gonna be taken through a process. And I have three ways for you today to know that you can trust the process. My first point is the process brings the promise. David goes back to tending the sheep. 
He is anointed king, and he goes back to sending the sheep. If I were David, I would feel a little gypped. Like, you just anointed me king, but I have to go back and watch the sheep. And it's the same for us. God's going to put a calling in our heart, but we're not always going to see that calling right away. We're not always going to be able to step into it right away. God anoints David long before he takes the throne because God had to take David through a process. And David's anointing was a reminder of the promise that would come. Again, I'm sure it was really hard for David to go right back to tending the sheep, doing kind of dirty work, knowing that he was going to be king. But he trusted God, and he knew that the process would bring the promise. That brings me to my second point, which is things need to change. When we're put through a process, there's no way that we can stay the same. In our walk with the Lord, we shouldn't stay the same. We're supposed to continually grow. In Psalm 139, 23 to 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to be okay with change, and we need to allow God to change us. Change is hard. I personally hate change. If I could avoid it, I would avoid change at all costs, and I would honestly stay the same. But that's not what we're called to. We're called to change. We're called to grow. We're called to get the sin out of our life. God knows the things in your life that you're hiding from him. He knows the lies from the devil that you're believing. He knows the unforgiveness that you're holding in your heart. And he knows the sins that you're struggling with that you're not giving to him. And right now today, he's calling you to give it to him. He's there and he's ready to take it and deal with it. Talking about growing makes me think of a plant and how when you grow things, they start out as a little seed. And I was thinking, if when we grow stuff and we water it, feed it, if it came up out of the ground as a seed, I think we're doing something wrong. You're not, you're not feeding it well. or That would just be weird if it came out of the ground as a seed. It comes out of the ground different, changed. It's becoming the plant or the vegetable, the fruit, whatever it's supposed to be. It's the same way in our walk with the Lord. When we're fed, when we read the word, when we come to church, when we get what we need, we're going to grow into what God has called us to be. We can get upset or begin to doubt our calling when we don't see that growth right away. We want instant gratification. It's also like if you want a six-pack and you're sitting on the couch and eating chips every day, sorry, newsflash, you're not going to get that six-pack that you want. <laughs> You have to change, you have to go to the gym, you have to change your eating habits, you have to do something different to get what you want. Same way in our walk with the Lord, you have to get in the word, you have to pray, you have to have a relationship with the Lord. Everyone needs to go through the process to earn the results. This brings me to my third and final point. Preparation comes before the opportunity. We tend to want everything that God has for us right away. We know that God has something for us. We want it right now. We want it in our little box. That's not what we're called to. Sometimes we're called to watch the sheep. What is watching the sheep? David went back and he watched the sheep. He knew his calling. He knew what he was called to. And he went and he watched the sheep. Sometimes we're called to watch the sheep. We think that watching is something that we do to pass the time while we wait to see, oh, I can take this step in my calling now. No, if you're watching the sheep right now, 
That's your appointment right now. That's your calling right now. I know in my life, there have been times where I've had to watch the sheep. I've done stuff that I may not have wanted to do, but I did it because I was obeying the Lord and I knew that it was strengthening me for my calling. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you're watching the sheep, don't do it with a complaining spirit. Do it for the glory of God. And you're watching the sheep could look like babysitting every weekend because that's what you're in right now. It could also look like working at Chick-fil-A. And I know that working at Chick-fil-A is not the easiest thing in the world. But if that's your appointment right now, then you need to do it all for the glory of God. All of these things that I've talked about are points that tell us that we can trust the process. By knowing that the process brings the promise, allowing God to change you and mold you, and knowing that the preparation comes before the opportunity, you can trust the process. Are you going to trust the process today? Thank you. Wow, wasn't that great? Come on, yeah. Well, okay. Um, my name is Isabella Martinez, but everybody calls me Bella. There we go. That's my posse. Um, um, yeah, you guys can call me Bella. I serve here um, on the worship team and also an intern here at church. Practically grew up here, so love you, Mama. Where are you at? She's over there. Um, I'd like to thank all the pastors and staff for this opportunity. Truly grateful um, and humbled by this, but I just wanna say that God has done so many amazing things in this church and he's raising up a new one, new generation, right? So thank the Lord for that. Today I will be speaking on accountability. Biblical accountability is when you take responsibility for your actions and decide to allow God and others help accomplish what is right. Out of all the points that I ran across while studying this, I really realized that I wanted to highlight three and that's it and that's short. So um, one, accountability comes from the Holy Spirit. Before you bring your struggles and your frustrations to anyone, you first have to give it to the Father, right? Yeah. <laughs> Romans 14, 12 says, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Not to anybody, just God. And then you give it to somebody else, right? So you see, when we first become a Christ follower, we receive the Holy Spirit and he's been holding us accountable since like day one. And um, you know when the Holy Spirit is holding you accountable. It's called conviction. We all feel it, right? So quick example, let's say you just got your paycheck, right? And you're gonna go out to eat with the young adults, go to IHOP, all that. And having a good time, godly conversation, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I gotta pay. Holy Spirit checks you. He says, have you tithed yet? Bella, have you tithed yet? So easy to forget, right? Having fun. Maybe that was too personal or maybe I'm speaking to somebody here that needs accountability with tithing. Okay, <laughs> so that reminds us that the Holy Spirit is the first to keep us accountable. The second is accountability comes from others. Who does the Holy Spirit lead you to confide in? Because it's not as easy as shopping for shoes, but like, 
I wish it was. But, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be just any Christian friend and it doesn't have to be your best friend. Sometimes it's important that it even isn't, right? So the Holy Spirit is gonna lead you to someone who has a track record of being spiritually mature. Someone that won't condemn you, but instead encourage you and watch you grow in your faith and find joy in that. It's so important. It's common to see accountability being advertised to younger people, but where in the Bible does it say that only young people need accountability? I'll wait. Go ahead, lift your hand. That's right. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, I lost my place. Okay. (laughs) So the Bible does not say that. Just want to be clear on it. Um, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend and stops at 50? I don't think so. Scripture doesn't say that. And it leads me to my next point. Accountability is for everyone, all ages included. It's not just for the young. You need to lead by example and show the generation behind what it looks like to walk as a Christ follower. Just because you're older and wiser doesn't mean that you're just done with accountability just like that. That's not what it means. I'm counting on you, sorry, we are counting on you as a generation to lead, and it is said with full respect that I'm calling you out on this. Anyways, um, so why do we see see great theologians, leaders, pastors fall into sin over and over and over again? You could be running after God's own heart, but don't forget that temptation running right behind you. Don't get comfortable, yep. Yeah. (laughs) So before we judge someone for falling into sin, know that their influence does not make them God. They are just human. I know that if those who fell in the spotlight had accountability, the story would have been completely different. We've seen it all over the news, right? It's hard. All eyes on us, the Christians. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think that you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Galatians 6, 2 through 3. I didn't say it. He said it. That's scripture. Don't blame me. Read your Bible if you don't believe me. So be accountable for your pastors. Be accountable for your leaders. Be accountable for the single parents. Church, we need to be accountable for the young and hungry. Be accountable for the prodigal son. Be accountable for the fatherless. We need to be accountable for those who have lost their identity and have no idea how to get it back. Yeah. (laughs) Because as the body of Christ, we are called to be accountable and lift each other up. Church, we need to wake up. The young people are looking to you and we are not called to judge. We are not called to label. We are called and you are called to carry us and show us how to be the hands, feet and beating heart of Jesus by example. Gets me pumped up. I'm passionate about this. I'm not angry, I promise. So please, please allow us to stand on your shoulders as a spiritual foundation to advance the kingdom of God. Can we? Can you lift us up? As Paul had Barnabas, so Timothy had Paul. So having accountability isn't just for the weak, but it is there to push us towards spiritual maturity. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially that sin that so easily trips us up. 
And in this way, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Hebrews 12.1. So listen up. I'm going to leave you with this. So what's stopping you from finding your Timothy? What's stopping you from searching for your Paul, right? Who is the spirit leading you to confide in? Got to think about it. I love you guys. Thank you. I was going to say good morning, but I guess now I should say good afternoon to everyone. Just give me a second here. I would title my message today, Are You Listening? Have you ever been talking to someone and you can just tell that they aren't really paying attention? You know that they aren't engaged in the conversation even though they're trying to act like they are. Or maybe you're the other side and you're stuck in a conversation and they're just rambling and you're just like, smile and wave, (laughs) smile and nod, and it'll be over with shortly. I was thinking that of a story And I love my dad, he's amazing, but perfect in every way. Except that sometimes I feel like I'm talking and maybe he's not quite listening to what I'm saying, but I know that he really is sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So it made me think of this time when when I was working at, I'm still working at Chick-fil-A, but I would have to get up really, really early on Saturday mornings to go to work and open at like 6 a.m. And before I had my driver's license, I had to rely on someone to get me there. And so I would go to him Friday night and be like, hey dad, I have to go to work tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. And he was probably like watching baseball or something. So he was just like, okay. And I'm like, so that means we have to leave early in the morning. Are you going to be ready? Okay. And I'm just like, okay, so we're going to get there by 6 a.m., right? And he's like, okay. And I'm just like, I think he heard me, but I'm not quite sure if he heard me, so I'm just going to go to bed, and it'll be fine. I'll get there somehow. And then the next day, I would wake up, I would get ready, and I was completely ready, ready to walk out the door, and he's waiting for me at the door to leave. And so I know that he was listening and that he heard me. I feel like sometimes we get this way with God. We hear him, but we aren't actually listening. We are asking for things, and we aren't open to receiving anything outside of what we want. It comes down to obedience. We must listen when God speaks. In John chapter two, it gives a great example of some listeners. Many of you are probably familiar with the story, the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turns the water into wine. So if you'll turn to John chapter two with me, I'm gonna pick up at verse five. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars have been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. 
When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, although, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. The servants listened, and the miraculous happened. How can we position ourselves to be open and ready to receive all that God has for us? So I'm going to give you three things to help us get there. Number one, adjust your focus. In order to do that, we have to remove distractions. We see that in verse 5, Mary told the servants to do whatever he tells you to do. It was almost as if she was trying to prepare the servants for what would take place. We must prepare ourselves so that God can do a work in us, through us, or even for us. Is your focus on him? What's standing between you and what God wants to do? It makes me think of my story with my dad. It's much easier to focus and understand someone when you aren't focused on something else, but on them alone. It could have been a quick conversation if he wasn't distracted by something else. So get away from distractions and position yourself where God can move in you. Point two, listen for his voice. In verse seven, we see that Jesus spoke to the servants. He told them exactly what to do and they were ready to hear from Jesus because they were listening. They weren't just hearing, but they were leaning in and listening. It's very hard to listen to someone if you're always talking over them. We can get so wrapped up in our own problems that we can't hear him trying to give us the solution. If you're only going to God when you need or want something, you aren't going to hear his voice. It's in the quiet, intimate moments with God where you can listen and hear him loud. Are you listening for his voice? Or are you just waiting for the reward? Finally, point three, follow his instructions. We have to take action. Verse eight, so the servants followed his instructions. And then we see in verse nine and 10 that the miracle was performed after the servants had listened. When you hear from God, will you follow his instructions? Because he'll lead you in the right direction. It may look different from what you imagine, but are you going to let that hold you back? When he opens the, the door, are you going to say, oh, thanks, that isn't quite how I imagined it, or that's not actually what I meant. I'm comfortable where I am. It becomes an all about me relationship with God, and God doesn't call us to be comfortable or complacent. When he speaks, will you follow his instructions? Obedience. How can we receive all that God has for us? One, adjust your focus. Two, listen for his voice. And three, follow his instructions. Thank you. Hey, can we thank all of our young communicators today? We are so proud of you. Great job, great job, challenging words. Uh, the bookends just seem to flow together. We started with Alex telling us to pick up the phone. And then Tiffany asked, are you listening? 
And that's a great, great way that, that the Lord just kind of put this service together. So I just want to give you an opportunity right here in this place right now to listen in to the Lord. So right there in your seat, let's have minimal movement around. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. You've had a lot of information to process this morning. But the Lord is speaking something specifically to you. And I wonder what that is. So why don't you just lean in and ask the Holy Spirit. What do you have for me today, Spirit of God? How would you have me respond to your word today? Or maybe I've been too busy talking to you, but not listening. Maybe I've been too busy working for you, but not listening for you. Perhaps uh, you were challenged with accountability. You've kind of been out on your own, an island, if you will, and you need to find someone that you can lean into that could encourage you and help you on your spiritual journey. You were never meant to do life alone. Jesus, would you speak to our hearts today? Speak to us. Lord, our hope. Lord, I just think of Simeon's message. Where is our hope? Lord, our hope is not found in the Democratic or the Republican Party. Lord, our hope, our trust can be you in you and you only. So help us to realign where we put our hope, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for speaking your word today to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, Sunday's not enough. Religion is not enough. Lord, we don't want to go through the motions of showing up in this building once a week or once a month, whatever it might be. But Lord, we want to leave changed in your presence. Lord, I pray that this would not be some sort of check. We kind of check the box. I did my Sunday thing. Lord, I pray that you would call us higher, that we would pick up the phone. Lord, you're speaking. You're always speaking to us. But are we listening? Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us, speaking to us through your word, speaking to us through other people, whether it be people on the dream team or life groups or prayer team members or some other spiritual father or mother. And Lord, you can also speak to us in your still small voice. So help us to know what to say yes to and no to because sometimes we just need to say no to some things so we can say a bigger yes to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm just gonna invite all of our prayer team and our young preachers, our young communicators down front. If you need prayer for anything, before we leave, we're gonna give you opportunity to do that. Maybe you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. All you have to do is 
Believe in your heart that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Recognize that you are a sinner and then invite him to be the Lord of your life. If you want to do that, you can come down and have one of these men or women pray for you. Maybe you need prayer for something else. I just encourage you to do that. But before we go, can we just take one more moment and respond all over the room? Let's stand together. Pastor Sean, lead us in a chorus of response. And if you need prayer as we're singing, come down. Let these men and women pray for you today. Come on, let's sing out now.